Welcome to Marvelicious Toys. Hosted by Justin and his amazing friends, Arnie and Marjorie. We bring you news and reviews of Marvel toys, statues, and more. Because not all Marvel collections can be bagged and boarded. They're not just toys, they're Marvelicious. Hi, welcome to issue 38 of Marvelicious Toys. I'm Marjorie. I'm Martin. And I'm Justin. And we have, I'll say a medium show this week. <laughs> I usually go, we have a big show. But really, let's get right into... The Spectacular Store Report. And there just hasn't been much. I'm a little disappointed. It's, it's slow going out there. It really is. And this is kind of what I was hinting at last show, where we were seeing all these revision cases of Marvel Universe coming out there. You know, I like seeing the older figures. I feel like there was four or five different cases of older figures that are just clogging the pegs. I wish that was the case here. That is the case for me at Toys R Us, where if I never see Scarlet Spider and Spider-Woman and that wave again, I'll be happy. But... At Targets and Walmarts, ours just don't have any MU at all. Weird. I wonder if that's like that everywhere else or if I'm in a weird area or what, but it feels like there's quite a bit of everything laying around in a lot of places. And as far as Avengers go, it's just been the same old, same old there as well. No signs of Wave 3. No signs of Amazing Spider-Man figures yet. I've been searching for more of the Marvel Legends Wave 2, but I haven't seen any more Marvel Legends since we last recorded. It has just been a real dry spell for these past couple weeks, and I kind of blame Easter. I think that either toys have been bought as fast as they've been put out, or they just haven't been stocking the kind of toys adult collectors deal with. Yeah, seems like maybe a little bit of both, you know? And usually a dry spell like this is, you know, followed by... A nice, nice rainy season. We're going to end up seeing new MU, new Spider-Man movie figures. We're going to see the rest of those Marvel Legends figures pretty soon. But yeah, I mean, like you said, there's going to be more Avengers figures needing to come out. And even Avengers figures that we have only heard rumors of, you know, there's going to be the villains from the movie, whatever they may be, the alien race and all that stuff. So maybe it's a good thing to have a little bit of a break for the wallet right now. Well, it's been a break for you. (laughs) (laughs) My collecting, due to Avengers hype, is kind of like the Mississippi. It can be dammed in one area. It's just going to flow in another. (laughs) Finds the easiest route. It does. Water finds its own level. (laughs) And right now, the easiest route has been the Avengers Assemble trading cards we talked about last time. Things have gone downhill. (laughs) Oh, no. First of all, I'm going to go out on the record and say I don't think cards 44... 46 or 73 exist. (laughs) We're that deep into it now, huh? (laughs) We have stacks and stacks all over the house. Piles. (laughs) And you're not complete. Right now, I count six piles. Did you count the one right next to you? Seven piles. Did you count the one in the pull-out drawer? Eight piles. (laughs) And I want to say that these are all anywhere from four to six inches tall. Mm Mm-hmm. Arnie, 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 Arnie. (laughs) I've learned quite a bit about these cards that I will share with listeners. First of all, I've learned whatever you do, don't buy the seven-card packs at Walmart 
and Target because I bought those thinking more different exclusives inside. No, they have the same freaking stickers that the 30 card packs have, but the seven card packs are $2. The 30 card packs are $5. Or even if you go to Toys R Us, the 30 card packs are $6. So you're saving a hell of a lot of money buying the 30 card packs, which are double long versus the seven card single packs when in a retail store. That's step one. Step two, though, <laughs> is when you go to the hobby store, your comic store, that kind of thing, that's where you get the special decks of cards. And the special decks cost about $5 for a pack of seven cards. But while you do get mostly the same cards in each pack, you get different kinds of exclusive cards. There's the A-series cards, which are classic Avengers cover cards. The E-series cards, which are foil Heroes Evolve cards with nice character arts. I've got one here of Bruce Banner. Are they kind of foily? Yeah, they're foil and reflective. Ah. Oh, so printed over like a silver background. Yeah. yeah. You've got the CS cards, or the concept series cards, which give you a nice view of some of the sets from the upcoming Avengers movies. But if you're really lucky, and these come one per case on average, and if you buy a full case, you're not guaranteed to get one, but on average it's one per case, you get a sketch card that is actual one-of-one one original art, and I actually got one. Now, I was really excited to get it, but it was... I've had this moment before. That's cool. What is it? Yeah, that's actually what happened when I gave you the mech test Tony Stark. Yes. It was like, that's so cool. What am I looking at? I mean, I looked at this card. I couldn't read the signature. And all I saw was a redhead in a red dress. And I'm like, well, the red outfit could be Electra, but Electra doesn't have red hair. And the red hair could be Mary Jane, but... I don't remember her wearing this kind of red dress. Somebody finally pointed out it's Scarlet Witch, which I would have known, but they made the hair, the outfit, and the headdress all the exact same shade of red. And so what was the line for the headdress, I just thought was another wave of hair. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Kind of looks like Jessica Rabbit, actually. That's what a number of people said, too. <laughs> so now when you say one of a kind, is that are you actually holding the card that the artist drew directly onto? Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. It's very cool to get, even if it took me a while to figure out what it was and who it was by. The signature was equally hard to read. Honestly... It kind of looks, and I'm not trying to be dirty, but it kind of looks like it says penis. <laughs> but it turned out that thing that we thought was an S was a G, and it says Peng, and the N just had a really long line to it. And it's Penelope Gaylord who signs her cards Peng for Peng Peng. Of course! Because Penelope G, Pen Peng, yeah. <laughs> so, moving on... <laughs> <laughs> also one per case is what's called a memorabilia card. And I think now that I know what I'm looking for, I would be able to pick these out because in these decks that have the memorabilia cards, you only get three cards instead of seven because the memorabilia cards are quite thick. Whoa. Why are they thick? You may ask because in each card is a piece of the costume worn by the actors in Avengers. You're starting to sell me on these. <laughs> <laughs> Sucker. 
<laughs> the foil didn't get do it, but the one-off artist cards kind of got me interested. That's pretty cool. Little actual costume pieces in the pack, huh? Yeah, and there's anywhere from single memorabilia where you get one actor's photo and one piece of cloth all the way up to quad memorabilia where you have four different actors and four different pieces of cloth. I've seen on eBay that they even go back into the older movies. There's one quad memorabilia card that is Thor and all three Warriors 3. So I happen to open a dual memorabilia card where I have a little bit of Thor outfit, a little bit of felt that touched Chris Hemsworth, and then a little <laughs> bit of Hawkeye. Well, that's not felt. That's microsuede. Oh, microsuede. You see, this is actually cut out where you can touch the fabric yourself so you can touch something that's been worn by a star. Marjorie's smelling Hawkeye. <laughs> that's beautiful. What is that, velvet? <laughs> <laughs> I expect his Thor to smell like lavender and linen, and he does just smells like fabric. We don't know what kind of processing or dry cleaning it may have gone through before getting to me. <laughs> That's not scratch and sniff, guys. <laughs> Quit smelling the Thor stuff. <laughs> then I opened another one. I couldn't believe my luck. I had a trio memorabilia card with Loki leather. <laughs> Thor Loki leather? Loki leather. Some kind of Thor material that's kind of maybe you can tell me what that is by touching it and some samuel l jackson hide of some sort as i posted on facebook i may or may not have then gone to ebay to get a piece of clothing worn by scarlett johansson see with that one i'd be more interested to find out which region of the costume it came from more so than with any of the others (laughs) (laughs) i actually saw one card on ebay that was scar joe from iron man 2 and scar joe from avengers So I still don't have a complete deck of Avengers Assemble trading cards, but I do have those three one-of-a-kind cards. And actually, they're not one-of-a-kind. The memorabilia cards, they are pre-printed. They are numbered. I have AT8 and AD6 for AT for trio, AD for double. So there are, you know, they printed multiple of the same kind of thing with the same pictures and pieces of an outfit but still it's kind of a cool thing of course not as cool as owning an actual movie prop but we're going to get to that a little bit later but yeah these hobby packs in stores they'll sucker you in yeah i think i might luckily i don't have the completionist gene so maybe i can get just a few and stop at that but we'll see how we'll see how it shakes out now since we haven't really found much new this does give us a chance to catch up on a few items that we mentioned being out but haven't had the chance to review. In Avengers, there have been Avengers Squinkies. Now, I've only seen these at Toys R Us so far. Yeah, I've never seen them anywhere else. Now, this is different than any other Squinky set for Marvel so far. It comes with eight Squinky characters and then two Squinky toys. And they're all supposed to be more based on the movie Avengers rather than the comic Avengers. So that's very weird when you take a squinky and try to base it on a real person. No, I don't think so. The little Sam Jackson looks like a little Sam Jackson. That's true. I think he's wanting me to give him a big kahuna burger. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your Iron Man. Looks the same. There's not much you can do different with Iron Man except change his colors. He's got the circle in the middle and some silver on his waist. So I'm pretty sure this is our March 7 squinky. Oh, yeah, with the circle. Then you get a super cute new Hulk. He's teeny tiny. Here's the thing with Hulk is the movie Hulk has a really weird pallor to him. And so it's this weird kind of olive green. 
It also really looks like Hulk is wearing no pants at all. There's like a tiny bit of loincloth around his legs, but like he has a complete bare thigh. <laughs> Naked Hulk. Then we've got a Captain America. Although he looks like he's perplexed and perhaps something is where it shouldn't be because his eyes are bugging out a little. Well, he's where he shouldn't be. He's from World War II. True. <laughs> yeah, he's not very action-y. He's just kind of standing there. I kind of like the silver that used on the paint on his head, though. Then we've got Thor, but he kind of looks like an angry Axl Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Lars Ulrich. You think more Lars Ulrich than Axl Rose? I thought because his hair was kind of red. <laughs> he feels kind of gray. I think it's his hair. No, the outfit is very gray, which is some blue accents. It's frightening, though. This is the one where the human likeness is most creepy with the beard. Well, it's because he has a beard, Arnie. Then we've got Hawkeye. Is he holding a bow, or is he just standing like he's holding a bow? He is holding a bow, or a fiddle. <laughs> fiddle. <laughs> Go back to my 1880s. Well, it, I mean, it's under his chin. What he's, hold, what he's drawing back could be a arrow, or it could be a bow. And, you know, you know, Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, That song did not carry over to the new millennium. Next up, we have a very pimped out ScarJo, Black Widow. Why is she pimped out? Look at all that makeup. <laughs> it looks like it's like a six-year-old wearing too much makeup. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yep. She's got the clown face going on. Yeah, what's funny is it looks good from the side or from the back, but the face is jacked on this piece. <laughs> I got to say, guys, I don't have these in hand, but I'm not a super huge fan of the more human style. It takes away that cuteness factor, I think. It kind of does, especially since you always try to compare it to the celebrity. That's part of the problem. It really is. And I think Cap has the same cuteness because he's got the cherub cheeks and everything. But you're right. The rest of them just do not have the squinky appeal. Is that like sex appeal? No. Oh. No, it's not. Those were the seven visible squinkies, but there is a mystery ball. Who could it be? <laughs> is it the secret villain reveal? No, it's Loki. It's Loki. He's really cute, though, because he's got little chubby cheeks. Honestly, they made a misstep. Their best designed squinky they left hidden in the package. Yeah, I mean, kind of a rock and a hard place for them there, though. It's like they always do mystery ones, so who do you put in the mystery ball? You can't. You know. Scar Joe. Yeah, but then you open it up and it's like, eh, what did I get here? Maybe Nick Fury would have worked well as the mystery ball. That's true, because you wouldn't necessarily think. Here's the reason why I said Scar Joe is because those two are about on the same level. Again, if you do one, it's Iron Man, two, it's Captain America, three includes Thor, four is Hulk. And then when you get down to five, six, seven, those are the ones that are kind of interchangeable. And so I think that, yeah, Nick Fury, you wouldn't expect him. That's to be sure. You might think it's the mystery villain and be very cool that it's him in there. I think Hawkeye, because Hawkeye has some ardent fans. One of our photo editors, Jen, is a complete Hawkeye nut. So a lot of people would be excited to be getting Hawkeye. Plus, that guy's going to be in the newborn film. So he's got appeal. To well, there's a few other things that come in there, too. The first thing is you get like a little standee for your squinkies to stand on with a big A in flames, so you can put them on there and have like a little background. Now, it only comes with one, so it's... I would need a whole set. It is cool to have a squinky stand, though. I, I do like it a lot more than I thought I would. In the package, I'm like, ah, lame. 
But when I actually put a squinky on it, I thought it was cool. Yeah, that's pretty neat looking. The other item I actually liked better in the package, and then I got it out, and I do not care for. Let me just say that this is a 110% disappointment for me. Do you want to know why? Why? Because it's not a squinky. I wanted this little Quinjet to be squinky material, and it's not. No, it's just regular plastic. I know. It's got a peg on it, so you're supposed to put a squinky on top of it like it's writing Oh, is that the deal? Yeah. Oh, it's another stand. Okay, that makes it better. But it's still not squinky-like. I just thought that was a rudder or something. (laughs) Yeah, squinkies have this weird non-set of rules with what they are. Like, sometimes they have vehicles. Like, have you seen the cars they have that aren't for anything other than just, like, their own brand of squinkies? They're really weird. They're, They're the same width as a car if you're looking at them straight on, but if you turn it to the side, it's, you know, only maybe about two and a half inches long. It's a really weird scale that they've got going on. I'm not quite sure if they they know what they're trying to accomplish with it other than things need to be squashed and out of proportion. I think that's part of my problem with the Quinjet is I think it would be cool if they did like a Quinjet at that like Spider-Man dispenser price point and I could put like 50 squinkies in it or a helicarrier at that price point that I could put a bunch of squinkies on. But here at this size and the fact that you only get one, you can't buy multiples, you can't have multiple stands, it's just kind of frustrating. Yeah. Now, do those come as squinkies? Like, you guys buy squinkies more often than I do. How many usually come in that blister pack? Is that a 9-pack or or is it a 12-pack? Usually usually it's a 12-pack, isn't it? Yeah, usually you get 12. Here, because we're getting two larger ones, you get eight and then two toys. Okay. Now, in addition to the squinkies... I don't know if you've had these at your Toys R Us yet, Justin, but I've been hearing from a lot of listeners about blind packaged Marvel toys called Grabzags. I think I saw those hanging on the end there. Aren't they like that kind of look similar to the anime style of Marvel? Is that what it is? And they're like really weird packings? The ones I saw were, they had basically, I think it was a flashlight with different art on it. And there's a couple other things. Are these the same things that you guys have? They are. And in each blind-packaged envelope, you don't know if you're going to get a pen, a flashlight, or a Marvel minifigure. And there's an ultra-rare black Spider-Man. Mitchell, one of our listeners who did the interview with the Avengers actors back at New York Comic Con for us, had been sending me some pictures of these. And I keep hitting our stores, and we I've hit several Toys R Uses in the area and cannot find them anywhere, but they look pretty dang cute. I know, I kind of want some, so I'll have to hit another Toys R Us. And he tells me that if you fondle the bags, you're able to tell if it's the flashlight, the pen, or the figure by the thickness. I did see these, and I will say that from the ones that I picked up, you could tell that there was a flashlight in one. And I don't know if I could tell if there was any ones with figures in them or not, because there might have been a cardboard thing in the way. So I don't know. Like, overall, I just... when I, Once I saw there was a flashlight in there, it really made me way less interested. In that, that just seemed like such a strange and almost, like, non-sequitur idea. Is it, unless it's a mag light. I don't think it is. It's just a little plastic flashlight. I might need it. Maybe an inch and a half, two inches long at best. Little teeny tiny like thing. So does anybody seen these figures then yet? Yeah, Mitchell Hallett. And that's he it? sent me pictures. Dan Curto, a lot of people have these, but not us. And I keep going and I've scoured the store to the point that I feel like creepy guy going up and down every aisle of Toys R Us. 
<laughs> well, maybe if I get a wild hair, I'll go over to my Toys R Us and fondle some bags for you and see if I can't find some figures for you. Continuing with the cute toys, these are ones we've talked about being out but never had a chance to review. There's also the Avengers Mini Mugs. Now, Justin, did you break down and pick up any of these guys? I have a few. I bought the uh, Cap and Red Skull pack, and I bought the Nick Fury so far. And I, every time I look at them, I keep seeing the Abomination and Hulk, and I'm eventually going to break down and buy that one. The Hulk's very cute. And then the rest, yeah, and the Abomination is awesome. Well, of course, there's the two series. There's the movie series and the comic series. Yep, the movie series are the individually packed ones. Right. And then the, the comic series are the two packs, right? Exactly. And you can definitely tell a difference between them. The movie series are far less colorful. Again, Hulk has that weird olive kind of pallor going on. Now, having gotten some mini mugs at San Diego Comic-Con and things, I was surprised that the toys are not removable from the hands. So, like, Nick Fury has a gun, Thor has a hammer. You can't take those out of the hand. I I don't know if that should be too surprising because I think they started that when they started doing the mini Star Wars mugs too, and if I remember correctly, those those were shaped right into the figures themselves too. Then yeah, I think he's right. On the bigger ones, they used to come out, but when they started doing the mini ones, if there's an accessory, it's it's sculpted right in. So looking at these, there's the six movie ones. We've got Hulk, who he's cute. He's got little Hulk nipples. Why are Hulk's nipples so damn cute? They're just, they're fantastic. And his little, oh, he doesn't have ears. Yeah, he does. Don't you see? It's just the way the hair okay, is Okay, he's got his hair. It's kind of long. It's time for a Hulk haircut. <laughs> I think he's fine. I wouldn't say the Avengers Hulk mug blows me away, but he's cute like all other mugs. He just, he looks a little bit confused. In the latest TV spot, Oh, it's awesome. Hulk gets a little smile that is tremendous, and I would have liked this Hulk to have that little smile if I was going to pick a Hulk mug expression. <laughs> yeah, this Hulk looks like, like he is very confused about something. Like somebody just asked him a very complex math question. Huh? <laughs> Hulk no no calculus. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Hawkeye again, and I think he's kind of cool. I mean, everything has him in the shades with the little earbuds so that he can get orders from Coulson or Maria Hill or Nick Fury. It's also not a spectacular mug, but I like the detail in the outfit and the wrist guard and everything that they gave him. His hairline seems a little strange. Kind of looks like he has a mullet going on. No, it's it's in accordance with Hulk. Hulk's hair is a little messier because, well, you know, Hulk's messy. He does have a chin cleft. Did you see? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A little Pac-Man on his chin. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Well, if you have a problem with their hairlines, let's go ahead to Nick Fury. He does not have a mullet. (laughs) Or any hair at all. He's got the goatee. Well, okay. No hair on his head. (laughs) He's very cute. He has the little scars going under his eye patch. It's a nice touch. He's holding two pistols, so I'm curious if that's going to be movie accurate, if he gets two guns ablazing. He doesn't seem like the type to actually get engaged. He seems like the type who stays back at base and gives the orders. Looking at the art, do you think they're trying to approximate uh, a a trench coat onto him there? Is that what I'm looking at? Just as a paint job rather than a sculpted piece? I don't think so. I think they're going for the black under outfit because if we go to the next one, Thor, if they were going to do the trench coat, I think they'd do it. I think he'd actually get one. Because Thor has a removable cape. I mean, it's not, you know, intentionally removable, but that's how they get the cape on him. So you have both Thors. Is it the same cape from Thor to Thor, just painted differently? Yes, it is. Same hammer? Yep, same hammer, same cape. 
All right. Same body. You know, it's a repaint. The comic Thor has a helmet that's just painted on. They went the really cheap way on that one, but because the movie Thor has no helmet. Brian Ono from FX Collectibles has confirmed that while they're selling a Thor helmet as part of their prop replica line, it's from the Thor movie, not from the Avengers movie. So Chris Hemsworth's hair shall not be contained. (laughs) His wig. I like the Thor one, though. I like the Chris Hemsworth Thor because they've given him, you know, rosy cheeks and a little bit of a nose and a goatee and the full beard, really. But it's a cute little... Big old baby blues. Out of all three mini, mini mug Thors, though, I still think the Comic-Con Avenger set is the best because that had a sculpted helmet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. But I like this one because it has no helmet. You know, the other one with the painted helmet, that's the lame way out. Yeah, it is. Because it looks mm-hmm. ridiculous. He actually looks like the girl from Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Iron Man Mark 7. Now, you know, we talked last episode about how I have bad luck with paint jobs. I got a jacked-up Iron Man with a bad paint job on his face, like totally scratched up. Yeah, you did. Oh, lame. Is it really just bad luck, or is it just sheer probability in the number that you buy of things? It's just really bad luck. It could be a little bit of both. But I've noticed with the glossy paints on the especially Iron Man figures that, first of all, like I mentioned a previous show... If you lean this up against another figure, the paint will bleed. I've ruined a vision figure of all the freaking figures to ruin a vision figure. And it's the paint that scratches most easily, too. So I'm going to have to pick up another Avengers Iron Man and return this one. And because he's jacked right out of the box. I didn't do it myself. Hmm. Yeah, maybe there is something weird with that metallic red. But it's a cool metallic red. I love the paint job on it. It's the good candy apple one. Mm Mm-hmm. They used the same one for the previous movie Iron Man's and the exclusive Iron Man's. Every time they use this metallic paint on a mug, I am really happy. Yeah, that's one that's definitely caught my eye more than once as, as I've been looking at these at the store. I do dig the metallic paint on it. But now you got me a little concerned that I have to look at them very closely to make sure it's not jacked up. Yeah, mine was right on the face. I should have noticed, but I bought these right when they were first out at Toys R Us at Toys R Us exorbitant prices, and I was just so happy to get them. I wasn't examining them closely in the package. Then the last one, Captain America. I really like him. He's got the little sculpted shield on him and everything. He has great eyes. This is also little jacked up paint. Where? Place. And check between the legs. Why were you looking between his legs? And check the scratch on his chest. Yeah, he does have a little damage. His shield is not proportionate. <laughs> Actually, I think it is. It's a pretty big shield. But it looks like he, it's tiny. It, you're right. It kind of looks like the single-serve pizza from Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the same question is, I bet you that's the same shield or same arm that they use in the comic series. It is exactly the same, yes. And moving to the comic series, Captain America, I like him a lot. I really... It's the same thing you said about the squinkies, Justin. I like the vibrant colors in the comic-based squinkies and the comic-based mugs so much more than the more muted movie-based ones. And while I think the only movie mug that lives up in eye-catching ability to the comic-based ones is that Iron Man Mark Seven, Because this Captain America, he just pops. He's got a mark on his belly, too. I'm noticing this. I'm just Maybe that's where his belly button is. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i like the the facial expression on this captain america more than the movie captain america it's got a nice little smirk going on and a little dimple 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a, just a great Captain America. And if all you need is the character and you don't need it to be, you know, more movie accurate, really, the differences between the two are minimal. It's a question of pure vibrancy of color. There's not really any deco changes. They both have stripes. Maybe the stripes are in alternate locations. The wings on this helmet are different. Okay, the wings on the helmet are different, and the sleeves are a little mm-hmm. bit different. The comic cap has white sleeves, whereas... Well, and the cap, belt's different, too. Oh, barely. It's One has yep. a white stripe in the middle with red alternating. One has red in the middle with white alternating. No, I mean, the belt below that, this one just has a silver buckle. This one has alternating silver brown. and brown. Oh, yep. I didn't see that. I wasn't looking at his crotch. And the <laughs> butts are different. This one has a star on the back, and the comic one does not. Oh, you're, you're right. You are totally right. There are some pretty major deco changes I didn't notice just looking at the front. The star is bigger on the shield than the comic one. The A is definitely smaller on the oh, movie one. Oh, yeah. Arnie, did you not notice the A's? I didn't even get to that. That was most obvious. You're right, Justin. The eyes are different. Okay, but in general, you could get away with, if you just want a cap, even if you're doing the movies, I don't think they're night and day different. It's not like Cap in the movie is wearing Bucky Cap with black pants. And to throw the Comic-Con set back into the mix, both of them are completely different from that artwork. He has a different mask completely and different eyes, a different star. So you've got three different Caps, and I'd say the two comic version ones are the more different, unique ones than the movie one. Now, this one comes with Red Skull, though, and... I absolutely love the Red Skull with his little scully eyes. He's really cute. And his glossy head. I Yeah, the glossy head and his little, like, skeletons and the reflections of his eyes. That's that is what super I was referring cool. to with the scully eyes, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty Red sweet. Skull. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely dig the Red Skull, and I think that's why I picked up this pack. This Out of all the four packs out there... This one is the most eye-catching to me. Of the two packs, I would agree with you completely. That is the best of the two packs, just because of the glossy paint and the bright blue on cap. The only thing I would kind of wish on the Red Skull, and it's not a major complaint, but I'd like to see some sort of darker outline around his teeth. It doesn't necessarily have to be black. So they don't look like little candy corns? Yeah, they, they feel a little bit stuck on. Like, even the eyes always have a little bit of an outline to them. Like, just maybe a little bit of a darker... You know, maybe a dark gray around there would have made him look a little cooler, but not enough of a complaint to make me not want it. I see your point. I kind of like the way they did the teeth, though. I, I don't know. For some reason, it works for me in a zippery kind of way. <laughs> Next pack we've got here, just continuing down the movie characters, Hulk. This Hulk I like a lot more. He looks a lot more pissed off. Yeah, he's got the classic Hulk face. Yeah, he's got the mad eyes. Yeah, here's one, though, where I do wish they'd outline the teeth a little more. Yeah, because it looks like he's got just big white choppers. Hulk paid lots for those caps. <laughs> but see, that's kind of the, the thing that makes me wish that Red Skull had more going on with his mouth, because Hulk at least has the blackness of his mouth outlining that. You know, the individual teeth don't need to be so individual, but the blackness around it makes the white teeth pop out more. True, true. I like his little, like, bowl cut, too, that he's got going on. This is like the big one mm-hmm. with the bowl cut. But the hair's like the big one, but the facial expression on this one, I have the big Hulk mug at my desk at work. I see him every day. I find this facial expression to be more stylized, so it may not be for everyone, but to me it's a little cuter. And I he, definitely dig it. And he comes with Hulk's classic enemy, the piranha. <laughs> no, that's the lizard. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, no, it's abomination. That's right. Third tries the charm. <laughs> this is terrible. He's actually a ghoulie, I think. <laughs> the toilet ghoulie. Yep. <laughs> I know abomination. I've read a lot of Hulk comics back in the day. And you, sir, are an abomination of an abomination. Abomination is almost defined by his wing-like ears, and they didn't even draw those on. But he's so darn cute. That is true. That's the big problem is he's just adorable. He's completely inaccurate, but I'm completely in love with him. I think they might be trying to go for a Hulk movie abomination because this one appears to have like the spine like the movie one did. And he doesn't have the wing ears and the movie one didn't have wing ears. Hmm. I don't know. It it looks more Tim Roth than Emil Blonsky to me. Of course. But he does have the comic Speedo on. So I don't know. That's true. Tim Roth Hulk did run around naked. (laughs) The third pack, this one, I don't know why it fails to excite me, but it does. It's the Silver Centurion Iron Man and Iron Monger. Silver Centurion Iron Man is fine, but he just lacks the je ne sais quoi. That's because the silver is just not there, and his face is very plain with the silver and the red. The red sucks. It's just not the right red. But if you look, he's a heart. See the heart? Oh, he has a heart in his face. That yeah. is true. Or a butt. It's a heart. <laughs> Depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> yeah, I think this one suffers from lack of detail. This one could have used some more contrasty dark paint outlines to make it all pop out a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, there, it just, I like it. It's classic design. I kind of like the silver and red going together, but there's nothing about it that just makes it stand out to me. No, it's very plain. And the same thing kind of goes for Ironmonger. He's fine, but he's just kind of blob. He's just two-tone, and the two tones are so similar. He's very Tron-looking. Yeah, it's it's dark gray and darker gray. It's like a Model T. You can have whatever color you want as long as it's gray. (laughs) This one's got messed up paint, too. See the side? Where? Right. Actually, he's bumpy. Maybe it's just not paint. It's okay. Oh, yeah. All right, I'll put him on my list of replacers. We're replacing, like, half my mini mugs for paint problems. (laughs) Oh, we already had to replace the comic Iron Man, so, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now we're just replacing both of those. Now, out of all the packs of these, the Iron Man and the Iron Monger set are the ones that just have not spoken to me at all. I see them every time I'm at the store, and they just can't pull the trigger on them. So maybe I'll pick those up if they're still around come clearance time. Yeah. We have been setting up the new Marvelicious Arcade here, and so I've got a space just for mini mugs, and so I really wanted to get all these out and display them. And because of that, I'm not going to wait for clearance. I'm not going to risk not getting any of them. I think in mass they look good, but individually a lot of these, if you're picking and choosing, a lot of these are more choose than pick. Yeah, definitely. Then the last two pack. Thor and Loki, we've already talked a lot about Thor. He's not bad, but he just pales so much in comparison to the San Diego Comic-Con Thor. It's the helmet. It looks like he's wearing a beanie or a yarmulke. Yeah. But that would be the coolest yarmulke at Temple. (laughs) Would it not be? (laughs) It would be pretty dope. I'm not too jazzed about his cheekbones either. There's something weird going on there, too. It's because of the shadows on his face, like they gave him accentuation. But I like the Loki a lot. While I have the problem that Thor's helmet is painted on, it doesn't bother me so much with Loki, even if he should have the giant horns popping off the head. And I think it's the demented smile that makes it work. 
Yeah, his face and costume are pretty good. But like you said, I would I would almost want the horns on there if I was to get this pack. But then that would screw up the whole line because if he had horns, they would be popping out of the top of the package. So overall, I mean, I, even the ones I've nitpicked here, I love the mini mug line. I'm happy to see it continue in any way. And I will buy these to tell Hasbro, I like this line and you should continue it. You know, you vote with your dollars and I'm voting to continue the mugs. But some of them are some of the best mugs they've done and some of them just lack. And I think because of the San Diego Comic-Con pack being so good here, there's just some that are lesser. If we didn't have that pack, a lot of these would be higher in my esteem. Very true. That's a great point. Because this is, yeah, I mean, we're looking at it and this is the third and fourth time we're getting some of these characters because of that pack. And then moving on from the mugs to the three and three quarter inch line, another couple of things that we've talked about but haven't really reviewed yet on the show are the Avengers Deluxe figures, of which there are two. Justin, I think you have avoided these figures. You know, I've avoided them partially. I did break down and pick up the parachuting Captain America because I looked closer at it and I realized that it was a repaint of one of the Captain America figures with the full articulation that I dig. So I thought that was kind of neat. It ends up being the movie cap just repainted with red boots and, you know, different stripes down the middle. He's got a red, white, and blue stripe going down the middle. And I never picked up the deluxe figure from that line last time with the parachute, so it actually got me. I like the figure. I was impressed with both of these figures' articulation. You mentioned the cap having good articulation. Iron Man does, too. The cap figure has a really good paint job on him, too. I, I like the paint. I like the pack that he has going in the front. You know, having just a parachute mission is kind of cool. As what always happens with any kind of parachute, Arnie has immediately tangled all of the strings. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. See? No tangle. What's They're a nice nylon. <laughs> They're yeah. a pretty nice nylon. They're hard to tangle, actually. Really? Because I'm watching it. No, it's not. It looks like he got caught in a tree. There you go. You got it. Is it caught on his shield now? A little under his armpit. There we go. Armpit, self-pace. So I have a little bit of a, a display conundrum with this one. Like, if you want to display him with the parachute, how do you go about doing it without, like, putting a tack through the actual parachute and ruining it? You know what I did for some of the photos I took of him? Is I just kind of gathered it behind him and leaned it against the back. And so it looks like he just landed and the parachute has crumpled against the back wall. That's kind of cool. But I'm thinking, like, wouldn't it be neat to have him hanging from your ceiling somehow? Like he's oh, actually parachuting yeah. in? That you could do if you tied hooks to your ceiling and tied them to the nylon cords and then not puncturing the parachute. And based upon your positioning, you could pull the parachute apart. Mm-hmm. Not too shabby. And you could even use staples if you wanted into a wall if you were going to put it next to a wall so you put a couple next to the wall and then just put some strings coming out the other side i still want it to billow up into the top though that's you almost want it to somehow oh i see what you're saying because if we held it by the strings you can have it extended but it's just going to be flat like a disc yeah it's not a very attractive parachute though I was disappointed that it didn't parachute very well. I remember being a kid and having my Mego three-inch Robin figure with a parachute and throwing it up in the air, and it landed very slowly. I dropped Cap off our second-story balcony, and he just thawed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got some weird camo on it. Like, I don't know how camo you can get with red, white, and blue, unless you land in the middle of, like, a Memorial Day parade or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, truthfully, you do have to display this figure with the parachute or pick up another one because you're going to destroy this little harness getting it off of him because it goes between his legs and over his shoulders. You could probably get it off of him by wrenching him in certain ways, but then getting it back on might be near impossible. And the where, where the parachute connects and disconnects, if you take the parachute off, he just has straps hanging for like two feet above his head. <laughs> <laughs> in defiance of gravity <laughs> i starch because i'm from the 40s <laughs> i also thought it was cool that he came with a couple guns though like they're really intending this to be an action figure not just a toy that kids throw up in the air yeah it's a pretty good solid rifle that he comes with and a standard handgun i believe and strangely i've put the handgun in his belt holster his holster actually has the strap like police have so that their gun doesn't fall out or get taken by a perp. Perp? Yeah. <laughs> You're funny. Now, the other one is the dive bomb mission Iron Man, who is Iron Man with wings and missiles. Yeah, those are the same wings that we got twice in the Captain America line, in the deluxe line. Now, my question is, is that Iron Man from the Iron Man 2 series, or is that from is that a repaint of the Avengers Iron Man? I am pretty sure this is an Iron Man 2 series figure based upon a handful of things. First of all, the triangle in it. But I believe the triangle is now right side up. Uh-huh. Because the triangle should have the point at the bottom, yes? Yep. And it does. But it is a highly articulated figure. It's got ball joint and swivel joint hips, knees, no ankle articulation, no wrist articulation, but shoulders elbows, head, all highly articulated. In fact, the joints were a little too loose. See, that's what makes me think that it might be a repaint of the the Mark VI Avengers Iron Man, uh, along with the, what is it, the Reflectron Iron Man? That's right, right. Think- he's got a copyright 2011 stamp in him, though, so he's definitely Iron Man 2 era. Hmm. He looks kind of neat, though. I mean, I dig the paint job. I dig the paint job. I don't know why he has a Spider-Man's logo on the front of his dive bomb. Because he borrowed that from Spider-Man. <laughs> They're friends. They hang out together. Don't you know that? I actually, though, I would recommend it if you want a nice Mark V-ish Iron Man on shelves right now. It's a good figure with good articulation. He has a hole in his back, which I don't recall a lot of Iron Man having. That's how this rig partially fits. He only has a hole in his back when it's convenient for him. But, no, actually, I like the Iron Man more than the cap in this one, although it is that glossy paint, so don't lean him up against any really valuable figures. Keep him away from your vision, kids. Now, in some other store news, I did find a few random items. I saw at Toys R Us the Captain Action outfits that we talked about on the show a long time ago. The soft, good outfits you can put on your Captain Action for Captain America and Spider-Man with pop-off heads, because kids like nothing more than to pop off heads of figures. (laughs) See, I saw those too, and, you know, maybe I didn't look at them close enough, but I assumed the figure was in there. They package them kind of tricky. They do, and the outfits were only $19.99, which is a lot less than we saw them going for online. Way back when they were first announced, they were going to be closer to $30. So I'm like, for $20? I'll pick that up. And then I realized I'm just picking up clothes and there's no doll. I'm looking around and I couldn't find the doll anywhere in the store. So I'm like, all right, there, what do I do? Yeah, some kid's going to be awful disappointed opening that up. <laughs> I got Spider-Man's pajamas. <laughs> Might as well pop them in the oven. <laughs> 
And they're, you know what? They're bigger than what I would have assumed. I kind of, when we looked at them online all the, all those episodes ago, I was kind of imagining them to be kind of the Mego scale. But they're they're close to a 12-inch scale almost, maybe closer to 10. They're big. They're Barbie. Yeah, they're Barbie size. Maybe not maybe not 12 inches, more Barbie size. Yeah. But I saw I saw Spider-Man and Captain America, and then on the back of the package, it looks like they're planning on an Iron Man and a Thor as well. Nice. I don't know how they do Iron Man unless it's like Mego where his iron suit is, again, pajamas. Hmm. <laughs> iron Man in tights. It may be good that my store didn't have any Captain Action dolls if they're going to go down this route. Because you'd have more than you could buy. You'd buy them anyway. Yes. Mm, no. But while at Toys R Us searching in vain for something to buy, I happened to notice something different. Now, we talked, I remember last year with Captain America coming out, the first Captain America toy I saw on the shelf was a remote control, like, larger vehicle, I'd say like a off-road ATV three-wheeler with cap on it. You remember that? The yep, remote control that's car? That's right. Yep. <laughs> well, they had two of those, one for Cap and one for Iron Man for Avengers. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. But then I saw something I had to buy. They took it a step further for Avengers, a flying Quinjet. Ooh. Remote control flying Quinjet. Don't get too excited yet, Justin. <laughs> is it one of those styrofoam? It is, yes. It's styrofoam. Is it made by Air Hogs? No silverlit. Oh. Well, I bought this not as a collectible. You know, I don't always buy everything to collect, but Marjorie and I like to play sometimes. And I thought for $40, a flying airplane, that would be fun. At the very least, we could torture dogs with it because they like the Star Wars flying things. They view it as an assault. <laughs> and I'm a boy. I like flying things. I like RC airplanes. And for $40, I wasn't expecting top of the line, but... I was expecting more than styrofoam. I did think it was plastic. I will say that. I was surprised when I took it out of the box and it was pure styrofoam, but it's a solid styrofoam. I oh, mean, yeah. Is it not hollow? I'm not understanding. It, it's not easily broken. Ours has taken some crashes. It's almost like Arnie and the Magic Beans again. <laughs> well, I was going to say, there are different grades of styrofoam. Like, they make styrofoam that if you drop it, and it's brittle, you know, but if there's other styrofoam that has more give and flexibility to it. So, if it's one of those... I might be interested because we had we had an air hogs thing that my son and I and my daughter played with for all of five minutes before it went up on a roof that we could not get onto. <laughs> <laughs> we took ours to a park. Maybe that's smarter. Yeah. We were going to do it in the backyard, but we the initial instructions I read talked about needing eight meters of cement for liftoff going into the wind. You need like a runway. Yes. And so I'm like, okay, we could try the driveway, we could try the backyard, but I could see this going over somebody's fence, I could see this going in the pool, I could see this going a lot of different ways, so when Marjorie said, let's go to the park, I was all for that, and that's a good thing we did, because we did lose it somewhere around third base. Yeah, it was just... <laughs> and we weren't near a baseball field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just takes one good gust of wind to really take that thing off course. Well, here's the thing, there is no course with it, Justin. <laughs> There's supposed to be a right and left turn thing, but no matter which way you turned it, it just went into a circle. And now, the difference was, 
if you toggled it to the left, it went in a circle. If you toggled it to the right, it went in the same direction, just faster. <laughs> it just kept going like corkscrew. And then it was while it would go up and then back into a corkscrew. Oh. Did you adjust the yaw on the controller? I did. <laughs> it does have yaw, and I did adjust it. Here's the thing with it, is it specifically said, take off into the wind to get the most lift. Now, I'm no avionics expert, but doesn't that sound wrong? Uh, it Maybe. It sounds like, you know, antithetical advice, especially if taking a leak. But maybe with an airplane, it does need more of a headwind to take off. Yeah, because the whole point is to get the wind going under the wings. And so the reason that airplanes need to speed up before takeoff is to get wind going under the wings to provide lift. It's Yeah, it makes sense. The same way you throw a paper airplane is to get, you know, some airflow going under the wings. Yeah, it didn't work at all. Yeah, I think there's diagrams <laughs> that show wind going right and the airplane going left at takeoff. And there's other pictures. So I knew I was doing it right, but here's what would happen is it would start to take off and then immediately turn around and hit Marjorie in the face. Yeah. This happens about three times. I have one of them on video. Yeah, here's some screens. She was videoing, and she said at the beginning, I don't want to get hit. And I'm like, oh, what are the chances of that? Well, it would lift off, and the wind would then immediately turn it in a circle away from the wind, and she happened to be standing in the flight path repeatedly. It's like I had a magnet on me. <laughs> and it wasn't intentional, because I had no control over the damn thing. <laughs> Finally, we we gave up on the runway liftoff, and it turned out later in the instructions it said you could throw it like a paper airplane into the wind. And Do you know how hard it is to throw something that is basically without weight? <laughs> Try imagine throwing a sheet of paper. That's what it was like, and it will have the same results as this Quinjet. Into the wind, no less. Yeah, so go outside. I'll save you $40. Take a piece of paper and try to throw it into the wind. <laughs> That's where our experience was. I believe there's video comedy evidence of that. I don't know if you guys watched Arrested Development, but Job was trying to throw away yes. a bill into the ocean <laughs> in a very dramatic fashion. Yes, it, it, it was a letter, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's kind of what it was like, yeah. That's what I'm picturing. Now, I will say, after a while, we figured out when the wind was at its calmest, strangely, throwing it in the general direction of the wind while the machine was already at full speed would be enough to get some flights, and we would have flights that would last up to 90 seconds or so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! But then it just kept spinning circles. Here, in more circles. No, what would happen is it would start and it would, I threw it. So it's obviously going away from us, right? And then you're like, wow, it's flying. And that I understand what the Wright brothers felt like after our own little kitty hawk crash after crash after crash. When it finally took flight, I was in awe. And I'm like, oh, look at it. The glory of flight. Oh, it keeps going away from us. Okay, that's getting pretty far there. Let's try to turn it around. And so turning it around toward back towards us, because I'm throwing it in the direction of the wind, means it's now going against the wind. 
so the wind blows, it turns right back around again. So I'm like, no, no, come back this way. No, I'm going back that way. It would then start the corkscrew that Marjorie referred to. <laughs> it's going back. It's not a fun toy. It was fun. It's dangerous. It was not dangerous. You got hit three times and you're alive. I've got PTSD now, though. <laughs> that sounds like you had at least a little bit of comedic value. I'm sure the people in the park were laughing at us. <laughs> it really did fly pretty well for a while. We, I thought we were going to lose it in the top of a tree. It got pretty high on one windy moment. And I'm, like, trying to take pictures of its flight. And then I'm like, it, it, we have no control over this. It's going where it's going to go. I'm like, it just needs to go two feet to the left, and we're going to have to climb a tree to get that thing back. What do you mean, we? It'd probably be me. But I am going to return it just because it wasn't anywhere near as fun as I'd hoped because it was lack of control. We were able to get four flights out of it, and we probably had 40 aborted attempts, and every single flight ended just with an out-of-control crash. Mm -hmm. And I know there must be some user error involved, because neither one of us is very good at flying things, but the fact that it just couldn't go in any given direction was a problem. So it was an impulse buy that I, I don't regret, because we've now reviewed it and tried it out, but I'm certainly I'm going to take that $40 and put it someplace else. Yeah, that seems like the same story I've had whenever I fall for these kind of cross-promotional tie-ins to flying machines. Like, I got the Millennium Falcon that's basically a helicopter with styrofoam around it, and that was just not a fun experience. <laughs> it was too hard to control. <laughs> it just did whatever it wanted to do anyway. We got the Jedi Starfighter helicopter like that. You see, I would not have bought this if it was like those helicopters from Hasbro. If it had had those giant propeller blades and it would have lifted off straight vertically, I would have been like, been there, done that, don't want it. But this, it, I read it, it like talked about achieving liftoff, and it had little wheels on the bottom, so it would run like a runway. And I thought, maybe this is something more. And it cost more than the Falcon. Or How much was the Falcon? I thought the Falcon was around 35 or I thought 30. they were like 50. Yeah, they were up there. I think I got mine at TJ Maxx when they were like 20. Okay, yeah, I think, I think I'm thinking originally. the Jedi Starfighter started yeah. at 25. And so being 40, I'd really hope for a better flying experience. But no, uh, no. No, it was terrible. <laughs> Things flying at me. And it was like it just it did it intentionally. Like it'd take off and immediately make a beeline for my face. <laughs> it knew you didn't like it. Yes, quite obviously. <laughs> well, I would suggest don't necessarily give up on flying contraptions altogether. Maybe try an Air Hogs one at some point. I may try an Air Hogs because I like to fly things. They are fun. Now, I will give this some props for its decals. I mean, it's just decals on a styrofoam thing, but it really is Quinjet-like. It's got shield logos all over it, a big Avengers A, a couple of Avengers logos. Nice design. It's visually appealing. But any kid who got this for Easter or for an upcoming birthday, they're not going to have the patience we did. They may never get it to fly once. I wonder if perfect flying conditions would be in a nice big gymnasium or something with no wind. I think you'd have to have some. I mean, but it did say don't do it on a windy day. Today was breezy. I wouldn't call it windy. It wasn't tornadic or anything, but it was, it, it apparently, maybe if it was stiller, we would have had a better time. Now that we talked about what's in the stores, let's talk about what's going on in... It's just in... News from the web! Okay, listeners, we have a very special task for all of you. 
We all know that Arnie is the cooler. And if we want to get our hands on Marvel Universe Wave 19, now I'm talking that cool wave with She-Hulk and you get Kang and Scarlet Witch. We know that these are going to be showing up eventually, but they showed up on eBay recently. And the seller, who is a little bit of a tool for more than one reason, which we'll get into in a moment, was trying to sell the set of three of them for $900. But if we all pitch in just a little bit and Arnie buys them, it'll be a good thing for all of us because then they'll start showing up at retail for the rest of us. (laughs) So maybe if we all pitch in and get Arnie to bite on this ridiculously overpriced auction, we'll all benefit in the long run. Uh, Speaking as his wife, I'm going to have to veto this. (laughs) <laughs> but it wouldn't be my money is what Justin's saying is that everybody would pitch in don't encourage him it might backfire it might have to be Arnie's own money so you'd send money at your own risk these look like cool figures not $900 cool but very cool mm. figures very exciting to see some new figures because so far this year in this line we haven't gotten any new figures we've gotten repaints of existing figures and older molds and older sculpts but we haven't gotten new figures yet this year and this is what marvel universe is all about i mean the she hulk looks awesome is that a new sculpt of like muscular woman because she's got some thighs on her yeah and she looks taller than the standard female so i mean it's a smaller picture so it's hard to tell but from looking at it i'm thinking we're getting a whole new bigger female sculpt here yeah and scarlet witch looks good kang looks good on the back we see the other two are punisher and Freedom Foundation Spider-Man. The fact that these are out there gives me hope, you know, that somebody is selling them. They've got to start being shipped from somewhere. And a lot of times figures will show up on eBay first, usually from overseas sellers, because they get them either out of the factory or somehow first, and then they make their way to the States in a couple of weeks after. So maybe before our next Marvelicious episode, We'll have some posts on Facebook of some new figures in it. Now, the reason this guy's a tool that Justin was talking about is he implied that he's David Vonner. He is not David Vonner. (laughs) Yeah, his username is D-V-O-N-T-U-23. So people think it's David Vonner, and he says he's in Rhode Island. Got it. So he thinks he's somebody. This guy's a tool, besmirching the good name of of a real, live human being for no good reason other than for financial gain. Have you guys pointed this out to Vonner? Oh, he saw from somebody other than us. Uh, came out and is like, this is not me. The figures I have, I've given to my kids. <laughs> yeah, David, knowing David the way we do, you can be assured that he wouldn't do something like this. Can I tell you something else, though, that gives me hope? In addition to these figures hopefully hitting our pegs pretty soon, the same douchebag has another auction for a solid vision figure. Yeah, I've been hearing rumblings lately that Vision is going to be making his way back out there. So this is some nice visual confirmation that quite possibly he's going to be mixed in with some upcoming waves. I hope so. I'm still upset that Iron Man ruined mine. (laughs) A lot of people hope so. Vision is still one of the most sought-after figures in this line's history. So a lot of collectors would be happy to see that guy back on the pegs, even just for a short while. Plus, with these new figures coming, I thought that the running gag would be Deadpool would be the back of the card talking to us every time. But on the backs of this next wave, Moda. Yeah, that's a little odd. They usually keep the same back character for the entire run of that year. And now, you know, two two waves in, 
we're getting Modoc now all of a sudden. Can a Modoc Marvel Universe be far behind? Mm-hmm. I hope so. That would be awesome. I'm not sure that we've seen a delivery vehicle in the line that would work with Modoc yet. Because right now we get individual carded figures, and I think you'd be too big to be an individual carded figure. So maybe in a battle pack? Or a store exclusive. I mean, a store exclusive along the lines of a three-figure pack or those light-up display bases or something. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Or maybe a giant figure pack. I mean, remember, we did get Giant Man and things, which are probably the same amount of plastic. Modoc is wider and squatter. Yeah, I suppose there are some some avenues that they could squeeze him into the main line. More more likely than not, he may pop up as a con exclusive. Oh, that would piss a lot of people off. <laughs> Speaking of pissed off, Hot Toys has announced that they're doing another Avengers one, the Iron Man Mark Six. <laughs> because, you know, there he's in the Mark Six armor at the beginning of Avengers, as we've seen. Get this! They're doing a joint promo edition with a light-up Avengers base. Guess the edition size. I, I did see this. Marjorie, do you want to take a guess? I saw it also, and I imagine that we will have every single computer we have lined up ready to go to get best chances. Nah, I'm giving up. There's only what? 16 of them in the world. I'm not getting one of these. You got to know somebody. You got to be Joe Quesada to get one of these in the States. This is a Japanese company with a Japanese exclusive. I'm not getting one of these. Yeah, that's overly exclusive. Yeah, that's like I made them for my friends exclusive. <laughs> now, it being an Avenger stand, though, that is something that they might eventually put out on its own as something you can buy on its own from directly from the slideshow or something in the future. Well, I can be fine without the 16 piece because hot toys is so crazy. I can't be that level of completionist where I have to track down every variant. It's like that milk MLK version of the war machine versus the special version of the war machine where the differences were minor enough that I'm not going to go crazy over the milk version. Yeah. But the figure itself, which is limited to 3,000 pieces, is it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of thing. Because I already have the Mark VI, the original one. And the reason I would be interested in this one is because it comes with a really kick-ass Robert Downey Jr. head, which the other one didn't. The original one only has the unmasked version with the rest of his helmet on. So I would kind of want this for the Robert Downey head. But if you didn't get the original one and you're getting this one, you're not getting all the battle damage pieces. I would rather have this Robert Downey head than the battle damage pieces. But here you're, again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. The last Mark VI wasn't really limited. This Mark VI is limited to 3,000 pieces. And of those 3,000 pieces, 500 are pre-order if you go in person to Hong Kong. And then on April 7th, the first 500 customers who purchased an Avengers movie ticket to a Japanese cinema chain got a shot at them, leaving only 2,000 available through other channels. But that's the thing with edition sizes. Like, do we know what a standard edition size for a Hot Toy is? I would assume it's right around 3,000 to 5,000 pieces anyway. You know, you've got a good point. I've done some Googling, and I tried to think of that secret project Iron Man that went so fast last year at San Diego Comic-Con and sold out in five minutes at Sideshow, and I cannot find an edition size of that. 
Yeah, so, so it, it could be a marketing ploy. You know, that could be a standard edition size or just slightly smaller than a regular edition size. We will see. I'm going to be following all of the Hot Toys sites to see when this becomes available and state size. Well, at the very least, we know there's still demand for that version of the of the character because it routinely goes for twice its regular, its original retail price on eBay. And you are right in looking eBay scalpers claimed that the secret project Iron Man was limited to 500 pieces and sideshows forums have people going, when does Hot Toy announce quantities? So in the past, they've not done this. Mm-hmm. So a wait and see. But if this is one you're on the fence on because of the announced edition size, it's the one to not wait on versus, say, Hawkeye or Nick Fury. Yeah, especially if it, this is the version of the armor that you want pull the trigger because it seems like they they maybe revisit each Iron Man armor slightly in a different way once. So this might be the last chance at the Mark VI. Now next up, we have Jerry joining us. He's going to be back every episode for the next few. So excited about Avengers that he's going to be doing timely reviews looking at Avengers tie-in toys from the past this time looking back at 90s Toy Biz Hulk figures. Let's turn back the clock for Timely Reviews. Hey everyone, Jerry here to bring you a new installment of Timely Reviews. I'm continuing my series from last time in which I'm going to focus on a mid-90s Marvel animated series. Now keeping in the theme of Now Playing's Marvel Movie Reviews, I'm going to focus this segment on the 1996-97 Incredible Hulk animated series that aired Sunday mornings on UPN Kids. This show is not to be confused with the Incredible Hulk series that aired on NBC in 1982 along with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The 96 series ran for 21 episodes across two seasons and was produced by Rick Unger, Stan Lee, and Ava Arad. The first season featured many guest appearances from all kinds of Marvel characters. Among them were Ghost Rider, Iron Man, War Machine, Thor, along with his Dr. Donald Blake alter ego, Mr. Fantastic, Thing, Doctor Strange, She-Hulk, and Doctor Doom. In addition to that, all of the great Hulk enemies were featured. Wendigo, Sasquatch, Abomination, featuring the voice of Richard Maul, Absorbing Man, Zex, and the leader with his sidekick, the Gargoyle. Interestingly, the leader was voiced by Matt Frewer, Max Headroom to those who aren't familiar, who of course is not a stranger to Marvel, as is about this time that he was in the Generation X TV movie directed by Roger Corman. More on him later. Also of note, the Gargoyle was voiced by a small-time voice actor by the name of, oh wait a minute, what's his name? Mark Ham, uh, Hamilton. Hamill, that's right. Of course, Mark Hamill. And yes, you'll instantly recognize him as the Gargoyle's voice, as it's not unlike his Joker and Hobgoblin voices. Now, I'm not convinced that Mr. Hamill does the voice of the Gargoyle in Season 2, but nothing I've read indicates otherwise. Perhaps he intentionally changed the voice up some because the Season 1 voice was too familiar to his other works. Now, the show follows a more traditional comic book approach to Hulk's story. First, Dr. Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk after saving Rick Jones, voiced by Luke Perry, from gamma radiation at a bomb testing site. The overarching story of Season 1 is that General Thunderbolt Rock Major Talbot and the military seek to capture Hulk. From time to time, they are aided by, or more accurately, in competition with S.H.I.E.L.D. in this endeavor. Betty Ross and Doc Sampson work in an official capacity to aid the military to develop new technology to capture the Hulk, but in the background, they work on ways to separate Bruce from the Hulk. Meanwhile, the leader plots to duplicate the Hulk's genetics to enhance his strength to match his intelligence, as well as to create an army that he can control. 
Given that this series came out seven years before the Ang Lee Hulk movie, it was a good primer to prepare one for that movie versus what one may be more familiar with in the Bill Bixby series of the 70s. Speaking of which, Lou Ferrigno actually stars in this series as the voice of the Hulk. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a waste. I mean, Hulk says like six words in each episode. You could have actually had all of Mr. Ferrigno's lines for the entire series recorded in one ten-minute session. But I suppose it's neat to have the original live-action Hulk provide that voice. Now, I have to say, season one is actually very fascinating to watch. The first three episodes are pretty weak, but it really picks up with the guest stars and featured villains. Personally, I love the animation style. It's simple, but not overly so, and is not stylized. Its look is very consistent with X-Men, Spider-Man, Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four shows, which helped the crossovers that occurred when Iron Man, War Machine, The Thing, and Reed Richards would appear on the show. Hulk likewise appeared on Iron Man and Fantastic Four, but keep in mind those shows aired first run in 94-95. After season one, though, UPN decided that the show was too dark and needed to be lightened up to expand the fan base. So the show was redubbed The Incredible Hulk and She-Hulk. Cousin Jennifer Walters was given a blood transfusion with Bruce's blood and was transformed in the She-Hulk in Season 1. She was only in two Season 1 episodes, but nonetheless became a major character in Season 2 to help draw in the female audience. Interestingly, She-Hulk's father was voiced by none other than Stan Lee. However, the show became a bit silly and really should have been renamed The She-Hulk Show, featuring The Incredible Hulk. The animation style was slightly different for Season 2, but was not a huge departure. She-Hulk has a revised look, and it seems to me that Bruce Banner looks a little different as well, but not significantly so from Season 1. Now, She-Hulk, of course, is a very competent and heroic character, but certainly brought the personality of the show with comedic one-liners. One, for instance, takes a very timely jab at a gentleman that I mentioned earlier who was associated with some Marvel projects at the time. Now, also, as a Transformers fan, I really appreciated this line from Bruce Banner as he was looking through equipment in a warehouse. Hmm, very nice. A sodium arc rectifier. A Unicron Transformer. <laughs> now, one nugget from Season 2 is that Bruce would also transform into the Greyhawk, the Joe Fixit character. The way Bruce's transformation worked in Season 2 is that whenever he got ready to Hulk out, we would see a battle in the astral field of Bruce's mind in which Green Hulk and Grey Hulk would duke it out to see which one would control Banner. Green Hulk, of course, was the rage with very little intelligence, and Grey Hulk had full control, could speak intelligently, and of course had a very snippy attitude with everyone. However, General Ross, Betty, Rick Jones, and Doc Sampson were seldomly seen. Doc was isolated just the first episode of Season 2, and Betty and General Ross really didn't show up until the season's very last episode. The show did not return for a third season, however. Now, Season 2 was so different from Season 1 that it was sort of a downer, but honestly, the plot lines were fairly interesting and the writing wasn't horrible. After about four or five episodes, it kind of grew on me. Now, of course, like the other Marvel animated series of the 90s, Toy Biz supported the show with a line of action figures. Now, similar to the show itself, the Incredible Hulk toy line felt like two different figure lines that were produced from 1996 to 1998. The first figures released were very large-scale to detailed figures with action features and accessories that were technically considered a 6-inch line, but were more like 7 inches. Of course, the line featured monstrous characters, so perhaps they were properly scaled to, let's say, a 6-inch human character. These figures were on very large backer cards with the show's logo and an image of Hulk's eyes and forehead. A Hulk image that actually did not match the show's design, by the way. Among the characters released were multiple versions of the Hulk, the Leader, Abomination, and She-Hulk. 
There were some very cool Hulk figures. Aside from the regular green Hulk, we also got a gray Hulk, and my favorite, a Hulk figure that was actually hollowed out in the back such that you could place a much smaller, and horribly out of scale by the way, Bruce Banner figure into. We also received a Smart Hulk figure in the second wave that was subnamed Transformations that also gave us a Hulk 2099 figure, which was never actually featured in the show, Maestro and the Absorbing Man. As a side note, a She-Hulk repaint was offered through Toy Fair magazine as a mail-away offer in which her purple jumpsuit was redone into a Fantastic Four uniform. It was actually the only She-Hulk figure I had at the time. I practically refused to buy the carded version because it was sort of the peg warmer of its day that frustrated you every time you saw it in stores. Now, the second series of figures for the show were completely rescaled with a new card design. These figures were scaled more to 5 inches, in which even the Hulk figures were about that size, too. The card had a much smaller show logo, but more prominently featured a Hulk image that matched his TV show design. The line had two waves, the first subnamed Smash and Crash, and the other Outcasts. Of this line actually came my favorite Hulk figures. It was smaller with less detail than the first series versions, but I actually loved the design as more true to the show. Now this Hulk figure has this horrible action feature in which one of the legs is spring-loaded to deliver a kick. Sadly, the natural unsprung stance is the one in which his leg is sticking straight out, so you have to be careful when standing him upright so that he doesn't kick out underneath himself. The other figures in the set include a second and scaled-down version of the leader, Zizak, Chainsaw, which is one of the leader's gamma mutant soldiers, Doc Sampson, who is quite possibly the worst action figure ever made with its bland design, horrible detail, and limited articulation, and a leader Hulk with a gargoyle sidekick. Now sadly, I think the Avengers buzz has these figures a bit overpriced on the secondary market. It seems that finding any of them mint on card for under $20 is a bit of a trick. Some of the more obscure figures, though, may go for a little bit more. I think you may want to wait a bit, see if the prices come down, but then again, these are very large action figures, and if produced today, would probably easily be $20, $25, like the Marvel Select figures. They do not have the levels of articulation that many are used to, but they are very well made and capture a really good look for the Hulk. Now, as far as the show is concerned, all 21 episodes are available on Netflix. In fact, Disney XD still airs the show from time to time in the late night, early morning hours, along with some of the other shows from this era. The show was released on DVD in the UK as Region 2 discs. What's really cool about this set, though, is that it also has the entire run of the 1982 series and the 1966 series. That's 73 episodes across three series in this set. Now keep in mind, the 66 shows were actually 7 minutes short, but nonetheless, it's a really cool collection. Amazon has copies of this for about $50 new and used, but they're literally down to just a few copies. Well, that wraps up our look back at the 1996 Incredible Hulk animated series. I highly recommend this show to Hulk and Avenger fans, especially Season 1. And don't forget to go over to NowPlayin' at NowPlayin'Podcast.com and catch up on all the Hulk movie reviews, as well as Arnie's review of the Incredible Hulk TV series with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno over at the Venganza Media Gazette at VenganzaMedia.com. Well, thanks, everybody. I'm Jerry. I'll see you next time. Thanks for that, Jerry. And speaking of Hulk, over at Now Playing, Stuart Jacob and I are still doing our Avengers series reviews, and I'm continuing to make my way through the novelizations of those reviews, and this week I'm going to be looking at 
Peter David's novelization of The Incredible Hulk, the one starring Edward Norton. Of all the Marvel movie novelizations I've been reviewing here at Marvelicious Toys and plan on continuing to review for a few more books. If listeners enjoy these reviews, let me know by sending us an email. But the book I've been most anxious for was Peter David's The Incredible Hulk. And I've said in the past two book reviews that while I've read a lot of Peter David's work from Star Trek to Spider-Man, I know him best as my favorite Incredible Hulk writer. I feel his take on Hulk and Bruce Banner is the best I've ever seen. So anytime he gets paired with the Green Goliath, I take special notice wondering what aspects from comics he may use in his characterization or if he might explore things in these books that the comic continuity wouldn't allow him to do. But more than just Peter David returning to Hulk, the 2008 film The Incredible Hulk was fraught with problems. Before ever seeing it in theaters, I knew there was a lot of back and forth between Edward Norton, who was the film's star and its producer, and Marvel Studios over both length of the film and its content. It was a struggle that continued within a couple of months of the film's opening, and I was wondering which version would be released. As a fan of Norton since Primal Fear, I was totally Team Edward on this one. I wanted the three-hour-long Incredible Hulk film. I wanted a film that not only gave action, but also rich characterization and explored the human characters as much as the CGI ones. Plus, I heard there was a Captain America cameo during a scene being cut, and even in 2008, I was uber-hyped for Avengers. I wanted that reference in there. I was really disappointed when it was finally decided Marvel's much shorter cut would be the one released, but I held out hope for alternate cut to be available on the DVD, as they've done for so many many other Marvel movies like Fantastic Four, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man 2, hell, even Elektra got one. You can hear me review all of those at nowplayingpodcast.com. Yet, when the disc came out, there was just one cut of the film, the theatrical cut. Sure, there were some deleted scenes on the disc, and I watched them. I didn't see Captain America. I felt there was still something missing. So I really tore into Peter David's The Incredible Hulk novelization. I'm savvy enough to know that movie novelizations are written months or more in advance of a film's release, usually based on the shooting scripts. Things cut in editing of the movie are left in the novelization for a multitude of reasons, such as time to make the change, the length of the novel having to meet a certain word count, and, more than likely, a lack of caring about the details and verisimilitude of a promotional tie-in product. The chance to experience, even in book form, Norton's vision of the film through prose written by Peter David, I was almost as excited when I picked up this book as I was when I first walked into the theater to see Incredible Hulk in 2008. And the wonderful pun in a huge font on the back cover reading The Hero Who's All the Rage, that helped with the excitement a little bit. But just to address it off the top, I was both enlightened and disappointed by the scenes found in this book, but not in the final cut of this film. I was really shocked to find that from my estimation, having read the novelization and watching all the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, and I say the Blu-ray because it had about twice as many cut scenes as the DVD, I was wrong. I thought there were scenes left off the Blu-ray. No, all the major scenes I found in David's novelization were right there on the Blu-ray bonus features. The vast majority of them are Bruce, Betty, and Doc Samson scenes in Virginia, and that Captain America cameo I felt I'd been cheated out of, turns out it was in there too in the deleted scene in Antarctica, but I never saw it. It was literally blinking, you miss it. Google showed it to me better than the movie itself did. So going through David's novelization, there were really no surprises in store for me, no major revelations. Had I read this back when the movie came out, 
quote, this would have all been new material, but the Blu-ray really stole this book's thunder. But the book was helpful in clarifying where some of these scenes fit in in the scope of the film, but that's just about it. The only thing this book told me about the behind the scenes from the films was that the Stan Lee cameo was not intended to be how it ended up. In the movie, Stan Lee is seen in an apartment drinking a bottle of soda that had Bruce's blood in it, giving him gamma poisoning. He drinks it, drops it, and the gamma poisoning tips off the government to where Bruce had been hiding. And in the director's commentary, Louis Letier mentioned that Stan Lee was incredibly hard to schedule, a very busy man, especially for his age, and that was a last-minute shot. In the book, it seems that there was one scene likely never filmed of Bruce and Betty getting into Manhattan when they were on the run by boat. The boat was named Excelsior, and it was piloted by a highly animated, white-haired, talkative man. If this had been the Stanley cameo, it may have been his largest speaking role to date. As for the bottle of soda, it was drank by a little boy who went into the hospital and then showed up briefly at the end fight watching Abomination and Hulk. Really, it was a useless character. The Stanley cameo may have been a better use, but who's to say? So if the book didn't add much to my knowledge of the film's alternate versions, what did it add? Honestly, much like David's Iron Man and 2003 Hulk novelizations are reviewed in the past two issues of Marvelicious Toys, the novel didn't add much. Like those two books, this is a very straight retelling of the events from the movie, down to the lines of dialogue. David is very respectful of the source material he's adapting, and he doesn't push his own will or viewpoints in the film. He doesn't change the plot, he doesn't change the details, he doesn't even change the order in which the scenes come. As a writer himself, he seems to be very respectful of the screenwriter's original work and does his best to adapt it, not to alter it. But again, as with the previous David novelizations, through his writing, David doesn't alter a movie, but he does enhance it. These Marvel comic book movies, all of them, have moments where characters take actions that make no sense. I talked about a couple in the previous podcast. In Incredible Hulk, there's one where Bruce is in Brazil being chased by commandos, and he's running down an alley, and a military truck cuts him off and outsteps General Ross. It's the moment where Bruce comes face to face with his former employer, and we get some face time between them seeing each other before their next showdown in Virginia. But Ross doesn't actually do anything. He just stands there announcing his presence, and Banner changes directions and runs away. And watching this movie, this all happens in a couple of seconds. It's a quick beat, the brief meeting of the characters. It's a very show-don't-tell movie-making moment. But if you take it out of a movie and think about it, as David is being paid to do, why is Ross there? Why doesn't he have a gun? Or why doesn't he send another commander to that location who has a gun and can trank a banner? In the book, David has Ross realizing this was a boneheaded move and berating himself for it, a move made out of ego more than military intelligence. I kind of like that explanation, but truthfully, there are many moments like that in this book where nonsensical actions occur and the characters just chide themselves for making poor decisions. And while in a small example like the one I mentioned above, I like that meta quality, when you get to larger scenes, like the depiction of another scene cut from the movie where Bruce is kind of stalking Betty, following her around campus and watching her actions from afar, Bruce is again chiding himself, saying, she might see me at any moment, why am I doing this? 
And when you have a book full of characters going on for pages, taking actions in which they're not in control, it goes beyond trying to rationalize the situation and into making me lose my connection to these characters. I mean, if they lack impulse control, that's great if that's the plot of your book. If your main character's biggest problem is he can't stop himself from doing things he know he shouldn't, like a serial killer unable to stop killing, though he knows killing is wrong. That could be interesting, but... Bruce Banner's problem is anger, not impulse control, and when you also spread that around to Bruce, Betty, Ross, Blonsky, it just makes all the characters feel really weak. That said, there is one action in the book David can't even rationalize that way, and that's when Abomination at the end of the book is terrorizing Harlem. I've always wondered exactly why Blonsky would choose to tear apart uptown New York. It seemed totally unmotivated, other than he's the bad guy. Well, David didn't exactly give us a reason either. He completely avoids the the entire topic by not giving us Blonsky's point of view during these scenes. And that would have been so nice. I mean, Blonsky has just transformed for the first time and seemingly retained his intelligence. What's he thinking? What's he feeling? We never find that out because if we were to, it would have to explain why Blonsky's tearing apart Harlem and there's no reason for it. So just like in the movie, in the book, we have people who see Abomination do these things and tell us about them without ever getting a reason why. But not every addition to the book was like this. Several really do enhance the film. For one, when giving us scenes from Bruce Banner's point of view, we see that Bruce always carries a little bit of Hulk with him. Why is Bruce so quick to anger? Well, it turns out it's partially because there's an angry green voice in his head that tells him to smash those around him. It's a bit like multiple personality disorder, which happens to be how David depicted Banner and Hulk in his run of the comics. In the book, Hulk is a personality contained in Banner's mind, but when the Hulk becomes the dominant personality, a physical transformation as well as a mental one occurs. I love that in the comics. I like this thread that goes through the book. Additionally, in the book, it allows us to not only get Banner's point of view for scenes, but Hulk gets to chime in a little as well. And given that the book and movie are entitled The Incredible Hulk, I like having him as a constant presence who's not only talked about, but gets to give his say on items. This starts right in the beginning scene. It's a scene cut from the film in which Banner goes to the Arctic to kill himself. Why the Arctic? Kind of wondered that in the movie because when seeing the cutscenes, as Stewart said on Now Playing, you don't have to go to the Arctic to commit suicide. But in the book, David actually makes literary ties where he has Banner himself rationalizing. It's because the climactic end of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein novel has both the doctor and the monster in the Arctic. Well, in Incredible Hulk, the Doctor is the monster, and he's come with a gun to kill himself. But just as he's pulling the trigger, the change occurs. Hulk won't let puny Banner kill them both, and the weight has them falling into the Arctic Ocean. And in the book, we get to see even that doesn't slow down the giant beast, and Hulk begins the trek back to civilization. It's really a great scene, as written by David, showing Banner at such depths of despair over his burden of the Hulk that he's ready to take his own life, but the Hulk prevents him even that reprieve. But while the Hulk will stop Banner from killing himself, the Hulk, as seen in the Incredible Hulk movie, will kill others. In the final cut of the movie, it's kind of understated, but it is evident that the Hulk takes the lives of those who attack him. If you watch the cut scenes on the Blu-ray, it's made even clearer. We have William Hurt as General Ross standing over a group of body bags discussing other soldiers that Hulk has killed in the past. In the novel, it's clearer still as some of the soldiers are given more character than in the movie. And truthfully, if you look at it that way, you have Hulk killing American soldiers. 
And Blonsky, he just flips a few cars and does some vandalism. Yet Blonsky's the villain and Hulk's the hero? I think David realized that's a little bit hard to swallow, and he does make Blonsky far more evil, describing in graphic detail how he also kills soldiers that are stationed at Harlem. And he also kills civilians and terrorizes the children. So Hulk, he kills in self-defense, while Blonsky, he kills for fun. And that does help make Hulk more heroic. Also made a bit more heroic is General Ross. Now in the comics and Ang Lee's original film, Ross was a bit of a conflicted character who did hunt the Hulk, but it was for all the right reasons. It was protection of others from what he saw as a threat. Now, I know we can get into the Red Hulk debate, and there have been many depictions of Ross in the comics, but again, I'm going back primarily to Peter David's run. Well, and also in the comics, Ross did become a bit more anti-Hulk, going to extreme and dangerous methods to stop the Green Goliath, but still, his motives were pure. They were protection, be it because of the writers of the comic code authority not allowing the military to be portrayed in a negative light, that's what we had. But here, in the Incredible Hulk movie, Ross, as portrayed by Hurt, was both complicit in the creation of the Hulk and then single-mindedly greedy with his hunting of the beast. In the movie, he's not hunting Hulk to protect anyone, he's hunting Hulk to steal what makes Hulk strong and put it in a thousand other super soldiers. So by the end of the film, when Ross is teaming up with the Hulk to stop Blonsky, it all seemed really, let's just say convenient. But here in the book, we get inside Ross's head, and Peter David actually gives the character a real arc. While in the movie, Ross changes his mind and decides to help Hulk in the time of a second, in the book, he has far more conversations with Blonsky, with his boss, General Greller, and also with his aide, Kathleen Sparr, who is a very minor character from Hulk from the late 90s. Many of these scenes are in the movie, but in the book, we're shown some distaste and distrust of Ross through Sparr, a character given far more depth in the book than even the film's cutscenes show. And through Ross's own inner thoughts, we see a character transformation. Ross realizing he's to blame for the Hulk, and by the end of the movie, Ross is a changed man. In the final scene of the film, we see him drinking in a bar, and I've always interpreted that as because he was defeated, and maybe even facing a court-martial due to his role in the Blonsky affair. In the book, it is so much more than that. It's Ahab after realizing the white whale isn't worth chasing after all. Leave it to Peter David to make a one-dimensional villain actually sympathetic. David also really ties into Ross's feelings for his daughter. Much like he did in his 2003 Hulk novelization, David parallels the parental estrangement between Thunderbolt Ross and his daughter Betty into the creation of Super Blonsky and even Ross's relationship with Spar. Ross is feeling that those two were far more his children, more his creation, than his own biological daughter. The book also gives us an enhanced feeling of the timeline. The Arctic suicide scene is two years after Banner's experiment that turned him into the Hulk, and the bulk of the story is three years after the suicide attempt, putting the Hulk at five years old. Now, the movie is littered with references to comic book characters from Doc Samson to Samuel Stearns, but David does manage to throw just a few more in the book for good measure. In addition to Spar, which I've already mentioned, in the book, we have Betty hanging out with her friend Marlo, and Marlo is Rick Jones' wife and Betty Ross's best friend, a character David created for the Hulk comics. 
David also gets to give Bruce's dog in Brazil a name. He's named Rick. I'm guessing as in Rick Jones. And the university where Stearns teaches? That's Empire State University, Spider-Man's alma mater. Finally, during the scene where Tony Stark pays Ross a visit, one last element is introduced as we're told Blonsky was taken to the vault, a new prison created just to house super-powered criminals such as the Abomination. These are very nice ads that feel natural in the course of the book, but also really serve to strengthen those comic book ties. They're a wonderful smile to the knowing audience without taking anything away from the story being told, just like good references in the movies like Incredible Hulk and the Spider-Man films have done. And finally, I've always found David to be one of the funniest writers I've ever read through his wry use of dialogue and prose. And in Incredible Hulk, we have Bruce Banner going under the name Mr. Green and Samuel Stearns as Mr. Blue. And you have Blonsky, played by an actor best known for his role as Mr. Orange, something really called out in the novel when Betty shows up at Stanley's Pizza and asks for his special pizza, the Mr. Pink. Also, David adds a scene where Betty and Bruce are driving to New York, where Betty starts singing a song on the radio, a song by a little band known as Aerosmith. Read this book and you won't want to miss a thing either. So I'm left much like I was with the past two novelizations. I thought the book was a very enjoyable read, but it won't do much for those who already didn't like or have no interest in the movie. The prose actually served to point out the movie's flaws more than make up for them, but David's writing and wit make the book a fun time. Also, David was wise with the pacing, keeping the last quarter of the movie, The Big Battle, to just a handful of pages, as that type of action doesn't translate well to the page. So, I'd recommend this book to Marvel comic fans who also like the movie, basically people like me, but then again, aren't we the only ones who'd buy it anyway? To everyone else, it's a book they wouldn't look at twice in a bookstore, and I can't give any compelling reason why they should. As for the movie itself, well, you'll have to head to nowplayingpodcast.com to hear if I recommended that or not. And with that, I'm taking a break for a show from Peter David novelizations as, for whatever reason, he didn't return to write Iron Man 2. That novel was written by Alexander Irvine, a writer who's done some comic novels, but to whom I'm entirely new. So you can hear my review of the movie Iron Man 2 this week at nowplayingpodcast.com and my review of that novel in the next issue of Marvelicious Toys. It just, maybe it seems like there's something hard about making the Hulk the front and foremost character in a movie. You know, they seem to just miss the mark every time they try. And maybe, maybe the Avengers is the answer to that finally, where Hulk's not the main star. He's just part of the team. Perhaps. I don't know. I think any character can be tricky and any character can be done right. And Hulk worked for five years as a TV series, as you can read my reviews over at the Venganza Media Gazette, where all right, I haven't quite posted one each day. I've gotten a little busy with some other things, but I'm still posting through them. I'm still going to get through all five seasons before I turn 40, and I'm <laughs> I'm 37 right now. You can do it. And we will be back right after this little plug for now playing. You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. On May 4th, the most ambitious comic book movie of all times hits theaters. The Avengers. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Now you can join Arnie, Jacob, and Stuart each week at NowPlayingPodcast.com as they watch and review all the Marvel films. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. Iron Man. Yeah. 
I can fly. Captain America. I've knocked that Adolf Hitler over 200 times. Thor. You're big. Fought bigger. The Incredible Hulk. Dr. Banner, your work is unparalleled, and I'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into an enormous green rage monster. Ending with a weekend of release review of The Avengers this May. How do we do this? As a team. You can find it all at nowplayingpodcast.com. Any last words? For the last thing this week, last weekend was C2E2, and Marjorie and I went there, checkbook open, to do some shopping. While there, we did record this live report of what we found. So we are in the hallway at McCormick Convention Center, C2E2. The auction is going on right now. Things are going a lot higher than expected. Pretty sure we're walking away empty-handed here. The very first shield, which was the shield encased in ice, went for $20,000. Which I thought was high until the USO shield went for twenty-five. Yes, that was a bit expensive. It's not over yet. We stepped out for a breather, lest I go, Hydra stupid gun, $300. Yeah, that's a danger. <laughs> it is. It really is. But joining us here is Chris, Jedi Yoda 7 from our forums. Wait, who... wrong show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what I want to know is how many hot toys is that? <laughs> <laughs> He's got you. It's about 100 hot toys. It's also about five times my 2011 Hot Toys expenditure, so yeah. Yeah, I'm really surprised at how much stuff was going for, just kind of sitting in on the auction and seeing everything. The the hero outfit for the USO Captain America just shocked me at how much it went for. The outfits always go for quite a bit. It was $25,000. That's a lot of money. It, I Yeah. Is it uh, yes. for what you get? It is. Well, it depends. Now, if you're like some kind of weird fetishist, it is an outfit that Chris Evans wore. That has to be who bought the feet, right? I mean, $4,000 for feet. Well, how do you display that? I think, you know, a shield or something, you can really do a nice display. Clothing's hard. You have to buy a mannequin. You gotta and then get you're it. creepy. Yeah, you got to color. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I, I have to think about that with the USO outfit because the auctioneer said this is better than Victoria's Secret. The models wore those. I'm like, are panties included? Because if so, bid. <laughs> yeah, those went for like two thousand dollars, and they're just—it was a set of three. Yeah, but still, I mean, when someone opened the bid with like seventeen hundred. What the hell? Internet money—it's not real. Oh yeah. But as for less expensive items at the show. I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed in the vendors this year. I didn't find much in the way of anything. I didn't even see any of the unreleased figures. I found the two comic packs I haven't seen, the Thanos Adam Warlock and the Mr. Sinister Gambit at 40 a pack, and I was... That that's as outrageous a price as twenty five thousand for a prop shield. But Chris, I know you loaded up on toys. I, I did. Uh, I was looking for those comic packs as well. I actually didn't see those, but I was kind of surprised too. The vendors here weren't as willing to negotiate as some of the other conventions I've been to. Now, having just kind of stepped into the Marvel arena recently, I was able to backfill some Marvel universe, and I picked up a couple older legends that I've been looking for. 
I may go back tomorrow and pick up a couple of legends that I saw. I was kind of saving my money for the auction. There was as if a few legends are going to make the difference. They were about forty a pop. Okay, but still, I mean, they're not going to make a difference when you're talking a couple thousand for a shield. I mean, do you think that these the things guy- add up? Once again, the hot toys rationale: five legends is a hot toy, a hundred hot toys is a shield. So by that rationale, five hundred of these. If I bought five hundred legends, I couldn't buy a shield. You're not going to buy five hundred legends. I can't buy the shield either. Five hundred legends? No. Going to the toy biz days, quite possibly, counting the variants. True, true. Spider-Man Origins, you know. Yeah. Where we spent most of our money was Artist Alley. Yeah, you actually picked up a ton of art there. Question for the audience. I happened to run across the artist from whom I met at C2E2 last year, bought three prints, commissioned a, a sketch, which he did, which he's now selling as a print. I'm wondering, is, is that couth? I don't mind. I'm just curious what etiquette is on that. I don't buy enough art to know. Do you get royalty on that? <laughs> yeah, it was your idea. He should have at least given you a free print. The worst part is I'm not really happy with the print. It's like he gave him a frost stretch marks. It was really weird. And so I'm like, is he selling it well? Because I don't like my original with somebody else. I don't know if I like Emma Frost with stretch marks. He, he was going just for curves and contours, but the way he drew the lines, it's like, did she have a baby? <laughs> I didn't pick up any Marvel art, and I really thought I did because the last convention I went to, I picked up a Galactus and a Modoc. But while here, there was one Marvel licensee other than Marvel Comics themselves here, and that was Diamond Select Toys, and we got a chance to talk to Zach Oat about a lot of the new items that they had to show. Which of you may know Zach from his time at Toy Fair Magazine. We are here with Zach Oat of Diamond Select Toys. Hello, sir. Uh, good to be here. And we're going to be looking at a lot of Marvel toys you've got coming out. We talk about these on the show all the time, the Diamond Select figures that are Justin's favorite. We're going to start with the Mini Mates. Now, these are incredibly prolific. I was in the panel earlier, the 10th anniversary next year. Uh, it's the 10th anniversary of Mini Mates uh, this year. The Marvel Mini Mate anniversary is actually next year, yes, 2013 have some big things in store for that? Uh, yeah, we're working on some plans for uh, for the 10th anniversary. Uh, our 50th wave of Marvel Mini Mates comes out next year, um, which I think is some kind of a record. And uh, uh, we're hoping to do something real special for that. Yeah. And we've got pictures on our site of the new ones shown. You've got the Avengers movie Mini Mate series with some of Loki's army in there. Now, are those Toys R Us exclusives or are those direct mer- uh, merchants? The Loki's army and Maria Hill will only be at specialty. Uh, um, and Hawkeye, Black Widow, Loki, and Nick Fury will only be at Toys R Us. Um, the big four, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, will be at both locations. And going through, I see the Venom Through the Ages four-pack that's going to be coming up. And great set, just the amazing amount of detail you're able to fit into a two-inch figure like that. What is some of the rationale and research that goes into what you decide to do in some of these Through the Ages from comic-based four-packs? You know, I think we look at characters who have, you know, that that big fan base who who would support a uh, an box set entirely dedicated to them, and we look for characters who've had a lot of looks. And with Venom, you know, um, once you factor in Flash Thompson Venom and She Venom, there have been a lot of looks for that character. Um, and we've got two different Venoms that are two very different interpretations of the character. One a bo- more basic McFarlane version, and one a very crazy mid transformation version that that a lot of people are liking. 
And then in an upcoming series, we have here The Brood. And what I what I love is like when you do the MODOK you're doing with the Marvel versus Capcom Series 3 and The Brood, when you do these totally different things, is there a limit to how many, like, away from the basic two arms, two legs figure sculpts you can do in a wave? Uh- there's, uh, I mean, there are a certain amount of tooling. Um, uh, there's a certain amount of room in the tool when you're creating all the parts for a wave of toys. Um, so if you have too many parts, then you're going to run out of space. So if you're going to have a figure like that, like the Brood, who has four arms and a tail piece and a giant head, um, you know, you've got, in addition to the regular parts, you've got to, you know, balance that out with some of the other characters. And luckily, a lot of the other characters, like uh, Longshot and Dazzler and Wolverine um, and Rogue, don't have a lot of, a lot, a lot of extra parts thrown into that are going to clog up a tool. But if we need to go to more than one tool, then we can do that. It's, sorry, it's all very technical, but there's, um, it, it has a lot to do with um, you know, the capabilities of the factory and uh, the costs involved. And now with your license with Marvel, I noticed you've got you know, movie-based mini-mates, you've got comic-based movie-mates, you've got Avengers and Amazing Spider-Man here. Last year, you guys were the only ones really tying into the X-Men First Class as well as Thor and Cap. How do you balance how much you release that is more multimedia tie-in versus comic-based? Well, every movie license we do is a separate license. Um, we well, we just release them under the Marvel banner um, as one of our regular waves. But uh, but especially when we're doing dealing with another company like Sony, you know, it's an entirely separate license. Um, but we do try to balance out uh, in our Marvel Select line specifically um, how many movie figures we do versus how many comic-based figures. And then for Minimates, um, you know, it, it doesn't really affect too much. Uh, you know, if we're doing two waves a year, maybe we wouldn't go to a third movie wave. Uh, X-Men was a special case. We did that exclusively for Toys R Us. Um, and it was kind of great that we were the only people out there with X-Men uh, products. That movie ended up being a, a, a big hit with a lot of fans. And kind of segueing from that into the other movie license property you have on display here, and because, like you say, the licenses are different, you're doing amazing Spider-Man mini-busts. Yes. Well, we used to be uh, big into resin. Um, Diamond Select Toys was made a lot of comic book-based resin and uh, a, lot, some, a lot of movie-based resin as well. Um, they did a Spider-Man 3 busts and statues that were really great. Um, and we worked with General Giant on a lot of that, uh, who get the digital data from the movies and can translate that into uh, some great pieces. And uh, with the, our, our director is a big fan of Spider-Man, and when this new movie came along, we really wanted to be a part of it. The Spider-Man 3 was great for us, so we said, what, do we, what can we do? And we, uh, we've got four busts coming out that look really great, and uh, a statue that looks pretty good, too. What are, what's the fourth bust? I see a Spider-Man, kind of a... Oh, there's an Spider-Man, unmasked... There's Spider-Man, Vigilante Spider-Man, which is a street costume, um, uh, the lizard, and then there's an unmasked, battle-damaged Spider-Man. It's going to have an interchangeable head uh, that shows Andrew Garfield, and it's going to have an interchangeable hand, so you can either be holding his mask or just clutching a fist. Uh, clenching a fist. And um, this mini-statue is him uh, found, uh, poised on the side of a building. And when going into the mini-bust market, which is a little bit of a diversion from what you've been doing lately with Marvel stuff, what is it that you've done to set these apart? Because it's kind of a crowded market with mini-bust, with Kodo did some for movies, and you've got General Giant and Diamond, or got General Giant and Bowen coming out with them pretty regularly. What really sets the Diamond mini-bust apart? 
Well, it was a crowded market for a while there when we got out of the game. Um, right now, we just, uh, you know, we, we know we can do it very well, and we know the Gentle Giant can do can execute some great work. And uh, and we just really wanted to, to put them back out there because we knew that we would do a great job. And, you know, whether there are other companies putting out movie stuff, um, you know, it's not going to look like ours, and it's not going to look as good as ours. So, uh, you know, sorry to sound a little cocky there, but, you know, these are some good-looking pieces. I mean, you can't deny these are good-looking pieces. You know, it's, it is a tough market, and hopefully these do well. We're hoping that the retailer response is going to be uh, is going to be strong. And then we've got the Marvel Select figures, and I'm just going to preface this by saying thank you for coming out with Anti Venom again. Oh, no problem. Um, we, if we'd known that it was going to sell out as quickly as it did, we would have made a lot more of them. I believe we're already going back into production on it again, and we are certainly looking at figures that we can do. There are some figures that we cannot go back and rerun because those molds are no longer. We don't longer have access to those molds, but. Um, in case with figures like Green Goblin, we're going to go back. We're going to, you know, revisit them and make new ones. So expect other characters that maybe you are looking to get old ones of uh, to maybe see new versions in the future. And looking at the case you've got here, you've got the. Avengers movie Marvel Select and I've got to really give some props to the size of the Hulk and the scale that it brings to make it you know, very movie accurate. There. The Hulk is pretty darn big. Um, I, I, I haven't measured him lately and I meant to whip out my tape measure but I mean, he's got to be at least 9 inches tall um, but he's uh, people have said he's one of the best Hulk figures we've done and they're going to use him in their, even in their comic assortments because it actually would fit in with comic style uh, Marvel Selects um, and he's uh, it's just a great figure. I've held a a production piece in my hand, and it's just a big hunk of plastic, and I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, but that said, um, uh, I think the Hawkeye came out great, um, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to be happy to be able to get their hands on Iron Man Mark VI again. And um, we're hopefully going to fix the mask issues this time around. And uh, the uh, Loki's Army figure um, we're revealing for the first time at C2E2. Um, and it's uh, oh, it's just a prototype on display here, but the production piece is going to be pretty killer. So if you like what you saw in the commercials with uh, those creepy monsters, uh, the figure is going to be a pretty nice piece. I've got to ask, now you can reveal the figure, but you can't reveal the name. Yeah, that is uh, that is what we've been told. We are allowed to show it since he appeared in the commercials. We are not allowed to tell you what they are called. Uh, I do not know um, if we're going to be able to tell you that before the movie actually hits. Um, the figure isn't going to come out to laugh in the movie. I think at this point it might be a July release. Um, but um, uh, don't expect to see the mini-mates either until until after the movie hits because I think the, the name of the character is still relatively secret. And then you've got some coming in for the Amazing Spider-Man movie. Yes, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. We've got the new Spidey, uh, very high, very poseable, uh, comes on a wall-mountable base. Um, and the Lizard figure, another big guy, not as big as the Hulk, but he's big in the movie and he's big in the toy. Um, I think he looks like he's probably around 8 inches tall. Um, but he's a, he's a great toy as well. I mean, if you, if you dig this whole Lizard movie design, they really executed it pretty great. General Giant obviously helped pair it up with us to help develop all of the movie based selects that we do. And when it comes to the select figures, how do you guys decide between the articulation versus the look? Because some have, you know, really great articulation like your Deadpool. Others are more basic articulated. I remember some of the very first ones were hardly articulated at all. 
Well, we um, we have always had articulation limitations um, just for ma- manufacturing the toys because we've always been um, there's always been another master toy licensee for Marvel as long as we've been doing it. Um, so we did have uh, size limitate. We did have some uh, articulation limitations, and we were only allowed to release a certain number per year. Um, we still only release a certain number per year, but um, but we have decided to focus more on articulation um, rather than on the, uh, the the posing of it. But that doesn't mean we haven't you know sacrificed sculpting. It's just we've tried to make the articulation make sense and not put in too much unnecessary articulation that's going to threaten the sculpt. But we do want you to be able to play with them. And then looking forward to the rest of the year beyond what's on display, about how many more waves of Minimates and how many more uh, select figures are you looking at in 2012? Uh, I think you're going to see one more wave of to- at Toys R Us for Marvel Minimates and one more wave uh, uh, at Specialty. Um, there are some box sets that we do not have on display here, uh, including some retailer exclusives. And there is, um, the, I, but I believe that what we're seeing is, is pretty much all of the selects for this year, aside from, again, a few retailer exclusives that will be revealed later on in the year. Um, yeah, pretty much every, this is pretty much everything for, two, uh, for 2012. Um, like I said, we're only allowed to do nine. And this year, it just so happens that six of those are movie-based figures. And then there's going to be another three comic-based figures after that, uh, Ultron, Storm, and Nightcrawler. And that Nightcrawler, props on the face. Very, very nice face. Yeah, uh, Gene St. Jean did a great job with the demonic Nightcrawler face. Some people have been saying, oh, why isn't he more traditionally handsome? But I think the, 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 the frightful nature of Nightcrawler has, has been a big part of the character. How, you know, his uh, his angelic nature is at, is at odds with his demonic appearance. And I think showing having him be, you know, scary is a, is a really great interpretation of the character that Gene executed. And then you've also got some novelty items. You have the Captain America neon sign, and you've also done a Marvel neon sign and an Iron Man one, right? Uh, yeah, the Iron Man is still upcoming, but the Cap and the Marvel logo are out now. And we are looking at some new, uh, we are working on some new designs for neon signs going forward. But they're a lot of fun, um, and uh, and they're 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 very. The cool thing is that you can either hang them on your wall or you can mount them on your desk. Um, either way, and it's, and each one comes with an exclusive uh, comic book with a uh, uh, limited cover. And then you've also got some other kind of novelty items, a Silver Surfer bottle opener, Captain America Shield bottle opener. How much room do you have to play with these licenses? Uh, we, you know, we, um, this is a new uh, category for us, the bottle openers, and we've pitched them a bunch of ideas, and uh, and they've been uh, they've been very receptive. Um, the Thor's Hammer that's out now is a great piece. Uh, Silver Surfer is a lot of fun, um, and we've got a few more concepts into them that I'm hoping are going to happen, uh, because they're, they're really, they're really, not only, some of them are just fun for what they are, but some of them, uh, we actually have one that is um, more or less a prop replica that we'll hopefully be able to show you in the future and it's um it's a it's it's like an actual item from marvel universe that you'll be able to open uh, open bottles with it's a, it's pretty cool and hopefully uh hopefully people will dig it on, on multiple levels great well zach thank you very much for your time and you look around the booth They're always great products and hope to talk to you again yep uh, definitely come by anytime thanks to zach for that interview he has the most impressive mutton chops i've ever seen they were classic and I think there's a lot of cool things to come. I did get a chance to see that MODOK there. It was really cool. Going to have to hit Toys R Us up for that. And with that, we will head back to the studio. Well, that sucks you guys didn't get anything at the auction. You were ready to spend money. You had money literally burning a hole in your pocket, and you didn't get a chance to pull the trigger. That's okay. I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. It happened, and 
who knew? You know, I they had estimates on their website for what things would go for. Whoever estimated was way low. Well, and you know, Arnie and I got to see it on opening day with Chris Evans hosting it, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean that the memorabilia cards. There, we got our we we got cap covered. I'm happy with how it ended up. I really am. I'll just keep telling myself that. And so that is our show for this week. As always, we go out on a custom Avengers song gotten from Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And I said I was saving the best ones for last. I still can't wait. You know, our next show is the last show before Avengers comes out, guys. Whoa, that is coming up quick. So I saved the best song ever for that one. Here's the second best in my estimation. I hope you guys agree. You were made to be ruled. They thought we were made to be ruled. But they didn't know. We had the Avengers. Just a few. A group of remarkable people to fight the battles that we never could. And they did. Gentlemen, what are you prepared to do? If we can't protect the earth, you can be damn sure we'll avenge it. I'm not even singing on key. <laughs> and this is why you and I do not agree on music. I thought this had like a devoish quality. No. It had a Dieterish quality. <laughs> now we listen Would to you Shrockets. like to touch my monkey? <laughs> you may not touch my monkey. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll say this. It's only five bucks, right? <laughs> Correct. I see I'm alone. I thought the integration of the movie clips really made that something special. Nope. Now I'm really worried about the one you're considering best. Is it like Thank Vanilla you're... Ice Wrap? Is Vanilla Ice on Fiverr? No, he's too busy building his house. <laughs> I think he might have been blinded by the drum machine. <laughs> and I realized they were off key. I thought they were going for a style there. This also probably explains why musically we're incompatible. Yeah. It does. Well, we will be back two more weeks, guys. And then we'll be in full Avenger frenzy. And God only knows how much of ScarJo's outfit I'll own by then. <laughs> Sewing it together. It'll look like Catwoman from Batman Returns. <laughs> I'm going to let you go as far as you want with the outfit. But the minute you start bidding on locks of her hair, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> I told Marjorie that just if I ever say I want to watch we bought a zoo. We know it's gone too far. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> and until next time, true collectors. Mate mine marvelicious. <laughs> you may not touch my monkey. <laughs> <laughs> for listening to this episode of Marvelicious Toys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help our show by leaving a positive review for the show on iTunes. 
There's even more Marvelicious content at our website, MarveliciousToys.com. At the site, you can see pictures of the products we discussed, find checklists for Marvel toys, talk and trade with the Marvelicious forums, and much more. It's all at MarveliciousToys.com. We want to hear your thoughts on Marvel collectibles. You can leave reports of your latest toy finds as well as product reviews on our voicemail at 803-MARVEL-4 or email an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at MarveliciousToys.com. Marvelicious Toys is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. Podcast enhancement by Barrett. Marvelicious website design by Jason. Graphic design by Justin. Announcements by Brock. The Marvelicious theme song, Bam Pow Kablam, is composed by Joe Harrison. See more of Joe's work at www.starwarsfanworks.com slash lionsmouth. If you also like Star Wars, Star Wars Collecting is covered weekly at our other podcast, Star Wars Action News, which you can find at SWActionNews.com. Marvel Comics and all of the Marvel Multiverse contains are the intellectual property of Marvel Entertainment Incorporated, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Marvelicious Toys is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved. It's got so many people. It's got it's got uh, Keanu, Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, yeah. Keanu Reeves. Is that and, you uh, went to Johnny Mnemonic first? <laughs> that's my that's my make fun of him stance. <laughs> <laughs> um. Arnie, do you need my scar joes? I have my own scar joe. It's okay. I've got... Okay. Yeah. I, uh... Arnie's got a crush. <laughs> it's a very normal crush. All boys I, have it. I've never had a thing for her before, but I think it's because my wallpaper for several months has included her in tight black leather, and now it's like. Yeah. <laughs> She's looking pretty good. She really is. I like the red hair on her. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I just keep telling myself I don't need a bootylicious premium format. I don't need a bootylicious premium format. <laughs> I think you might. <laughs> don't goad me. <laughs> no, don't, because we may be making a very big purchase this weekend. Usually a dry spell like this is, you know, followed by a nice, nice rainy season. We're going to end up seeing new MU, new Spider-Man movie figures. We're going to see the rest of those Marvel Legends figures pretty soon. And then lo and behold, it's going to be time for even more. Where was I going with that? Wow, total brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had another movie to talk about, but I ran out with Spider-Man and Avengers. Or I just Should give re say that then, or give me something else that might be coming out. Um, yeah, there's really nothing else. No, I can't think of anything. <laughs> Where did I start that thought? The dry spell will be followed by a wet spell. That's right. <laughs> and I like the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I did say spell, not smell. Or spot. <laughs>
But yeah, it makes me kind of feel like the the dry spell is going to be followed up here pretty soon with with a wet spell, if you will. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be seeing. <laughs> I think I will not, sir. <laughs> Just depends on where you're looking. Usually those happen at Walmart. So if you if you want to steer clear of the wet spell, <laughs> just stay away from Walmart. <laughs> Some kind of Thor material that's kind of maybe you can tell me what that is by touching it. And some Samuel L. Jackson hide of some sort. I can't let that one go without a that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can tell me what it is by touching it. It's hard to tell. <laughs> so. I do have a question, though, about Iron Man 2 and ScarJo in it. While she was in the boxing ring kicking John Favreau's butt, Tony was looking through her employee dossier. You know, I've had quite a few jobs in my life. Never once have I had to pose in lingerie for my, you know, anything to do with my job. You're not working for Tony Stark. Oh, Okay. I thought that was just a standard female resume thing to put a lingerie <laughs> thing in there. No, it really isn't. No? No. Well, no, I'm glad I didn't go into HR. I thought those guys were having a good time down there. No. Mm-mm. And he tells me that if you fondle the bags, you're able to tell if it's the flashlight, the pen, or the figure by the thickness. Perhaps you don't want to say fondle. Perhaps you just want to say if you... <laughs> Feel around the bag or feel up the bag. Maybe that sounds more enticing than fondle the bag. <laughs> they all sound pretty good. <laughs> Do you like your back fondled? <laughs> Depends on the fondler. <laughs> but you're right. It all comes down to thickness. That's what's really important here. <laughs> Maybe an inch and a half, two inches long at best. Little teeny tiny like thing. What are you talking about teeny tiny? That's average. <laughs> you were in the pool, let me guess. <laughs> Here's the thing I've noticed is that I just want a little more start. Okay. Um, How much do you need of her? Arnie, <laughs> are you constructing a whole outfit? <laughs> this is Iron Man 2 Scarja. Uh-huh. I think you'd have to have some. I mean, but it did say don't do it on a windy day. Today was breezy. I wouldn't call it windy. It wasn't tornadic or anything, but it was, it, it apparently, maybe if it was stiller, we would have had a better time. I'm still in all over the word tornadic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go into news from the web, I gotta, I gotta hit the head. Okay. I'll be, I'll be right back. We can probably just use that as a segue, right? Before we go into news from the web, I just gotta take a leak. That works, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> Why don't you, uh, move us into news from the web? The Incredible Hulk, the one starring Peter Nort, Peter Norton. Ed. <laughs> the one starring Edward Norton. And I'm 38 right now. I'm 37 right How old am I? I'm You're 30 37. You can do it. I can do it all night long. <laughs> Is that your triumph? 
<laughs> that was me trying to be Rob Schneider. Oh. <laughs> in any Adam Sandler movie. But yeah, that's where you can do it comes from. Is the right, right, Rob right. Schneider. He's out of like Triumph. <laughs> and until so next... that. No, I'm doing it. Go. <laughs> is that a little loose skin on Emma? Oh, oh. you're awful. I didn't draw it. Too many transformations back and forth, Emma. <laughs> There's a downside to the transformations. I guess never thought about that. <laughs>